Today's scripture will be coming from Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make you make your path straight. Thank you, gentlemen. Great to see everyone this morning. Want to welcome our online viewers today. I know that a whole lot of y'all are sitting in the comfort of your living rooms in your pajamas still, probably starting on your second or third cup of coffee. Um, <clears throat> but we're glad you're comfortable. We're glad you were able to join us today. And I'm going to be talking, Ken mentioned a, a minute ago about, uh, we read from Romans 5, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. And we're going to be talking about that phrase, in due time, and what it means biblically. And then we're going to be looking beyond tragedy. And with confidence as Christians, we're able to do that. Beloved, what I wanted to do to begin was to share, I, I kind of did some research on this and, and looked up the, ted, the 10 deadliest plagues that have afflicted our world, and just to keep things in perspective, um, you know, because uh, this virus is serious and we need to treat it so. That's why a lot of you all are home and practicing social distancing, as they said, and all that's good, but I do want us to kind of look at things. These are what uh, I can understand from my study to be the 10 deadliest plagues that ever placed the earth. Now, we're talking about a plague. <laughs> Obviously, the flood wouldn't fit in that, although it was pretty deadly. Um, but uh, the number one, and, and these are not in particular order, uh, uh, a lot of times, number one was what they're called the third cholera pandemic from 1852 to 860, and the death toll worldwide was one and a half million people. Um, then the Asian flu in 1957, as the name would, would uh, indicate, it began in China. The deaths were one to two million. Um, in that, the third was a typhus fever that actually began during the war and, and afflicted many soldiers and others during World War One, and that death toll was three million. And I, I think I'm going to pronounce this right: the Kakalitsi uh, epidemic of 1576 that began in what was to become modern-day Mexico. The death toll there was five to fifteen million people. There was the plague of Justinian. Um, and from 541 to 542, the death toll at that time was 25 million. They estimate that was 13% of the world's entire population. And then the Antonian, or Anton, I, I think that's pronounced right, brethren, plague from 165 to 180 lasted a while. They think this was either smallpox or measles um, that caused this plague, but the death toll in that was 5 million people. <clears throat> and then what they call the third plague plant pandemic in 1855, again began in China. This was a bubonic plague. It lasted 20 years, um, and the death toll was 10 million. The Black Death of 1334 began in China. Nearly 60% of the European population was wiped out during that plague. The death toll was 75 million and that was half the population died in some countries that were affected by that plague. Uh, and then the, what was called the Great Flu Epidemic of 1918, there's been some argument you know, amongst the, the people that studied this as to the exact total, but they said worldwide the death toll was between 50 to 100 million people. Um, it was recorded as the most devastating in history, this uh, epidemic infected one-third of the world's population. And then number 10 is what they call the HIV 
AIDS pandemic, which began in the 1960s, and it's still going to the present. And they said over that period of time, it's been approximately 25 million deaths. So, Brandon, I, I wanted to do that for a reason, um, as, as you'll see here in just a moment. I want to talk about what we would consider in our society some recent outbreaks. Um, and you all may recall some of these. Um, the <clears throat> most of us weren't around in the 1850s, except maybe Chuck. But um, but we've we've uh, been alive since all these recent outbreaks. What was called from 2002 to 2004. See if you can even remember this. The SARS outbreak. Okay, uh, worldwide deaths from that were 774. None in the United States. There was the swine flu of 2009, also called the H1N1. And um, worldwide, they said about 575,000 people died from it. And then in the U.S., 22 million were infected and 12,000 died. The Ebola scare from 2018, uh, the worldwide deaths was 11,325 and none in the United States. And then that brings us up to the coronavirus of today. And, and Robbie actually had, to, I, when I started this lesson, Earlier this week, it, the 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 told the numbers have changed. So we these are the latest we we got this morning as we got here to the building. Um, the worldwide deaths thirteen thousand five ninety nine. Uh, the U.S. so far three hundred and forty eight, and that's as of this morning. Now, brethren, the, the reason I want to mention this is look at look at this now. The world's population is seven point eight billion people, and the U.S. population is over three hundred thirty million. So, so this is a, I'm, I'm not saying don't take this serious. I'm not one of these that, that, that try to, you know, stick your head in the ground, so to speak, and say, and, and be a denier. But, that, but at the same time, we do need to look at things in perspective. And what these tell us, brother, brothers and sisters, the reason I want to share these is because, as Jesus said in the Bible, said there's always been and always going to be things of this nature. We have survived two world wars. We've survived a Great Depression. We survived 9-11. There's all kinds of things that we could consider a plague or a crisis that is going to hit us and always will. Uh, the Bible says that. So, so we've just been so blessed in our society that when something like this does come along, and it's not just in America, of course, it's worldwide, but it just, you know, it really shakes us up. And that's not all bad, and I think we're going to see that. Um, this lesson, beloved, may go just a little bit longer today because we've got some serious things to talk about. But listen, you don't have to beat anybody to the restaurant today. Amen? I mean, you know, and, and, and nobody needs to be making a toilet paper run to Walmart right now. So just sit back and relax, and, and, and let's get into this. Because, beloved, in due time, what does that mean? Looking beyond tragedy with confidence. You know, <clears throat> this journey called life is, is littered with crises and hardship and, and doom and death and gloom sometimes, brethren. The Bible says it's, it's going to be that way. I heard someone said one time, wouldn't it be great if you just went directly from the baptistry to heaven? You know, as soon as you got baptized, as soon as you got right with God, from, from, from the new birth to eternal life and no hardship in between, wouldn't that just be wonderful? But brothers and sisters, it's not that way, and we understand that. So what shall we do, or the biblical question then, is how then shall we live? What do we need to do about this, okay? You know what, most of the time, and, and, and this is human nature, but there's a negative reaction to tragedy. We oftentimes cry, where are the promises? 
God, where are you? The atheist uses this opportunity to say, well, this proves there is no God because he wouldn't allow this to happen. And we pray and we cry out, and there's silence sometime, right? Or it seems to be that way, and our prayers are not being answered, and we wonder. And as you study the Bible, beloved, you will see that sometimes it's a long time between promises made and promises kept or fulfilled. In fact, Hebrews 11, um, <clears throat> 13 tells us about, or eleven fifteen, I think, tells us about some people that, that were faithful to God and remained faithful to God. And it, and it says about these people that these died uh, in faith without receiving the promises. So they had to die before they received the promises. And so <clears throat> what happens, you see, when you look at these, you see like Abraham, from the time God told him to leave his country and that he was going to make him into a great nation, that was a long time. Noah, look how long he and his sons worked on that ark before God fulfilled that promise. You see, the return of Christ. Um, and as a result, many uh, do like Job's wife did when they hit this crisis and they don't see in due time, so to speak, then they end up saying something like, curse God and die, and they leave God. In Jeremiah 4, verses 17 and 18, Jeremiah's trying his best to get these people to come back to God because they've been living in idolatry for several years and are doing some horrible things, and, and this is their answer to them. Listen to what they said. <clears throat> but rather, we will certainly carry out every word that has proceeded from our mouths by burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven, a false goddess, and pouring out drink offerings to her, just as we ourselves, our forefathers, our kings, and our princes did in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem. For then we had plenty of food, and we were well off and saw no misfortune. But since we stopped burning sacrifices to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have lacked everything and have met our end by the sword and by famine. Beloved, these people are saying to Jeremiah, to God, basically, they're saying to the one true God, we're better off when we worship a false god. And so we're going to leave Jehovah, and we're going to do it our way. Since uh, we've served Jehovah, we've had nothing but trouble. And, and so a lot of times people will look at a crisis in that regard, and they try to blame God. Malachi 3, verse 14, some of the people in Malachi's day said it is vain to serve God. You know, what profit is it we've kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? He said, you know what? It's no, it's no good to do that. In Judges chapter 6, you see an incident in verses 12 and 13. The angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said uh, to him, O Lord is with you, the Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. And Gideon said this, and, and rather this is a lot of people's reaction to a crisis, right? O Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. A lot of people could say that, brethren, in a tragedy. Well, the Lord's abandoned us in this, in this crisis with COVID-19. The Lord's not doing anything. People are dying and people are being infected. And, 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 and you know, if you say you're our Lord, then why has all of this happened? But, brethren, this is the problem. This is what happens, and this is what I want to try to encourage us not to do. Us humans have a tendency during a crisis especially to fall into what I call the time trap. Okay? If prayers aren't answered quickly, and according to our definition of time, because after all, when do we want our prayers answered? <laughs> we say amen, right? And, and we think that God has forgotten us, or that he's not interested in us anymore, like some of these scriptures we just read, or that God is distracted, or that he just doesn't care. 
And so, brethren, this time trap causes people to become discouraged, okay? To, to, to think that they can do whatever they want to do. We, we see instances of that. Jesus gives a parable in Luke 12, verses 42 through 46. And he's talking about that. Who then is the faithful and sensible steward whom his master will put in charge of his servants to give them their rations or their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom the master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all of his possessions. But here's what happens a lot of times, right? But if that slave says in his heart, my master's going to be a long time in coming, he's going to be gone a long time, right? And he begins to beat the slaves, both men and women, and they eat and drink and get drunk. But the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he does not know and will cut him in pieces and sign him a place with the unbelievers. Beloved, isn't that what people have a tendency to do? You know, in a crisis, in a time where it doesn't seem like, quote, God is there. And so, okay, then I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to do what I want to do. When we were younger and my mama had to work outside the home and, and uh, she had real, real strict orders that us kids when we got home from school were to stay in the yard until she got home from work her or daddy and she always got home before daddy because he worked late hours and and so when when mama got home we better be in that yard we better not have stepped one foot out of that yard she was real serious about that well <clears throat> we kind of got to, got used to the time when mama would get home so we'd run the neighborhood do whatever we want to do and then come home about five minutes before mama drove up act like everything was right fine right guess what one day she got a feeling bad at the job and so she checked out and come on home and she gets home and guess what she come in an hour that we did not expect and and when she got home and none of her youngers was in the yard we, she didn't cut us in pieces, but we thought we was going to be that way. We, we got in all kinds of trouble. Why? Because we assumed that the master, in this case our mom, was not going to be coming for a while. First Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 puts it this way, okay? Um, I'm sorry, that's Second Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Um, you turn, turn over there. If, if, uh, I, I don't think that, that is in there. Um, Second Peter chapter 3. Um, Verses 3 and 4. I'm going to make sure that's the right one. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Know this first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lust, right? And saying, where's the promise of his coming? Talking about the return of Christ. For ever since his father, the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation, right? They're, they're falling in this time trap, brethren. Now, um, he goes on to say in verse 8, in order to answer this, you know, he said, you know what? What these people are forgetting about, that do not let this fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. So to God, brethren, is he looks at time completely different. And so we look at the, something like this virus or some other tragedy, and we think, oh, this is here to stay. This is it, man. You know, and this is going to be sort of the end of the world kind of thing. And, and, and so... Uh, brethren, it's not that way at all. During the crucifixion of Christ, the disciples had abandoned all hope, didn't they? They got in that time trap, even though Jesus tried to tell them otherwise. Their leader was murdered. He was in the grave. They were hiding in fear, uh, knowing that they could be next. But three days later, this sorrow was turned to joy. But, beloved, <clears throat> their problem was they had not trusted his promises. They had not trusted his word. They hadn't seen, as the Bible says, the end of the matter yet. They fell in that time trap. 
That's why this, I had for the scripture reading today, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What do we need to do? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Or some words say he will direct your path. But brothers and sisters, we need to do that, but then we need to give him time to direct. Because God works on his timetable. Have you noticed that? And his, and, his, and his reckoning of time is different than ours. And that's what gets us all befuddled sometimes and all upset, you know. Listen, and no, second point today, realize God is still in control and he's still working. God has this, brethren. God has had the world since his creation. He's, he's gone through everything that this world has ever gone. He through, he's been there, okay? Historically speaking, if you read the Old Testament, God has caused some of the tragedies in order to try to get his people to repent. And so, uh, as he did the flood, of course, being the big one. Um, but brothers and sisters, God is still in control. He's still working. I love the example of Joseph in this. We could give many biblical examples. But you see, Genesis 37 through 42 um, is, a, is a wonderful example of how in life that some things begin good and turn bad, other things begin bad and turn out good. There's some good that's going to come out of this, or is coming out of this virus right now. There really is. I, I mean, people's talking to each other, hadn't talked to each other in years. People are serving each other. People are helping each other. There's some good things that's going to come out of this. But we need to look at it that way, brethren. See, we can read in one setting what took 13 years to take place in Joseph's life. And those were some hard years. Sold into slavery as a teenager, betrayed by his own brothers, taken into a foreign country, a foreign culture, had to learn the language there, and it was not easy. The life of a slave is hard. The future for a slave was very bleak, very dim. Hard labor, mistreatment, oftentimes early death. And perhaps the most painful thing to bear was that he was living righteously. Ah, he was a teenager. He, you know, he did some things wrong. Nobody's perfect, but he was really living for the Lord. And, and, and uh, so, brethren, you know, you, you see chapter, uh, beginning of chapter 37, hated by his brothers, sold him like some cattle, a teenager slave, and, and you say, well, that's bad, right? It seemed bad. But no, it turned out for the good, didn't it? Because he comes to the household manager of Pharaoh, uh, who, Pharaoh's captain of the guard. He's living in a, a luxurious lifestyle. And you say, well, that's really good, right? Well, no, because Potiphar's wife frames Joseph, who's an innocent man, and has him throw in jail. And you say, well, that's bad, isn't it? He's in jail. Well, it's good because while he's in jail, he interprets dreams and becomes ruler of all of Egypt. And, when, and while he's ruler of Egypt, he, he, he prepares for seven years of famine. And so, brethren, what may look bad at first ends up being good. And God can work things that way. So what was the result? And we know the result in, in chapter 45, <clears throat> verses 5 through 8 of Genesis. The Bible tells us there that how, how God's hand was in all of that. Do you think Joseph understood that at the time, brethren? I, I really don't think he did. Um, but he, he trusted God, and maybe he thought he could understand that God was working in this, but he didn't know exactly how, and nor do we. But in Genesis 45, verses 5 through 8, he, Joseph says to his brothers who come to Egypt to buy food, Do not be grieved or angry with yourself because you sold me here, for God sent me for you before you to preserve life. He said God's hand was in this. 
Verse 6, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. You see how Joseph gives God the credit for all those horrible things that went on in his life, brethren, all those tragedies, all those crises, but you know what? He looked beyond that in due time. He looked beyond that, and he, and he says very specifically the thing that, that everybody else thought was a tragedy God has turned into good in order to save his people. And so, <clears throat> brethren, we need to understand that. In, in fact, in chapter 50, verse 20, this is what Joseph says about that. He's talking to his brothers again who sold him into slavery. As for you, you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. So, brethren, God was working in all of that tragedy. God was right there. And he's doing the same thing today. And like Joseph, there may be times when we are, are uh, convinced that God has forgotten us or abandoned us, you know, because we can't see over the next hill, brothers and sisters, and because we relate to time differently than God does. And yet we need to understand by faith that the all-knowing God, the all-seeing creator, our Father in heaven, uh, that he is skillfully and compassionately working all things together for the good of his people. And he's taking the good and the bad. There's some bad in this, brethren. We understand that. I'm not, again, trying to stick our head in the sand and be deniers. We understand there's some deaths that's gonna, that has come and that's going to continue to come through this virus, I'm sure. But God takes the good and the bad and weaves it together into a beautiful tapestry, you see. And he's not finished with us yet, brethren. This is not the end. In due time, we're going to see this. But knowing this needs to bring hope, especially for the Christian. You see, the unbeliever, bless his heart, he has to depend on luck and chance and things are just going to happen to fall into place. And, and, and if you, you listen to the, some of the news feeds, you know, it's just no wonder these people are panicking because in a, in a tragedy such as this, and there's other kinds as well, they have nobody or no one to turn to. They do if they will. But if they don't, then life becomes very hopeless for them. But not for the Christian. Beloved, we're called to trust God. We, we need to be careful not to get caught up in the time trap. As Ecclesiastes 7 verse 8 says, the end of a matter is better than the beginning. And that is true. Between the covers of the book called Life, and you, we've seen it in our lifetime, brethren, nations will rise and nations will fall. Kings and dictators and presidents will come and they're going to go. They, the trade centers and tall buildings are going to fall and be rebuilt. There will be, as Jesus says, always wars and rumors of war. There's going to be birth and death and sickness and hell. There's going to be prosperous times. There's going to be lean times. There's going to be gains. There's going to be loss. There's going to be joy. There's going to be sorrow. There's going to be comfort. There's going to be pain. There's going to be good times. And there's going to be bad. That's the way it's been since creation, just about. But through it all, brethren, God is in control. Genesis 18.25 says, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? He's going to. 
So what do we need to do in all of this? Bottom line is this. Remain faithful, Christian. You persevere. Because of the faithfulness of God, we can and must persevere. 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. If you, if you look at that, a little bit of a lengthy scripture, um, at least what we, we're used to sometimes, but it's really good because, see, Peter is writing to a group of persecuted Christians. They're being, they're being very persecuted. Um, and, and the only reason they're being persecuted is because they're Christians. They're like Joseph. They've done nothing wrong. They're being faithful to God. And so what does Peter tell these people who are being persecuted? They're in a tragedy. They're in a crisis, brother. Many of them are being killed and tortured and murdered. And because of their faithfulness to God, we've got to do it. Look at what he said, First Peter 1, verses 3 through 9. And I, I like the way he, he puts the proper perspective on this tragedy. First Peter 1, beginning with verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, uh, reserved in heaven for you, and uh, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time you know what peter begins doing he starts telling these persecuted people all their many blessings they have in christ he reminds them of that and everything he mentions has not gone away since their tragedy has come upon them but this is what he says in verse five uh, verse six i'm sorry it is in this you greatly rejoice even though now for a little while he's he tell them don't get caught in the time trap if necessary you've been distressed by various trials why would these Christians be distressed by these various trials? Why would they go through this crisis, this pandemic, this, this, this great trial? He says, so that the proof or trial of your faith, verse 7, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Brothers and sisters, how could a persecuted people who were literally being tortured and put to death because they wouldn't deny Christ, how can Peter say that they're able to, um, to have joy that is inexpressible? Because they were looking, they understood, in due time. Because in verse 9 he says, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your soul. Beloved, this, this virus is not the outcome. It's not the end. And we need to understand that, see. And this is what Peter's helping them to understand. We've got to remain faithful because what we are experiencing now is what we call the middles, right? We haven't seen the outcome yet, brothers and sisters. We haven't seen the end result yet. The ending will make all the tough in-betweens in worthwhile. James said that in James chapter 5, uh, verses 10 and 11. Uh, just, just tie this in with what Peter just said. He said, as an example, uh, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spake in the name of the Lord. We count those blessed who endured. We have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the Lord, the outcome. You see this? We've seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Brethren, for a long time, however long it was Job had to suffer the way he did, he did not see that outcome. But now he did. Later he did, see? And, and this is what James is saying. Peter says that uh, the outcome of your faith is going to be the salvation of your soul. And, and James says, you know what? We can see that outcome. Here's the outcome of being faithful to God. 
So then as Galatians 6, 9 tells us as Christians, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Beloved, we just have to continue to do what God has called his people to do. So wait on the Lord, Christian. You wait. This isn't the end. You wait on the Lord because of his promises. You wait on the Lord because in due time he will lift you up. You wait on the Lord because his loving kindness never ceases and his compassions never fail. Lamentations 3.22 You remain faithful to God and you persevere because we haven't seen the fruition of this yet. In fact, we haven't seen the fruition of our life on this earth yet, brothers and sisters. So you keep traveling. Don't quit the journey. Don't get discouraged. Be careful. Take the precautions you need to take. We, we as a congregation here, participating in what our government has uh, very strongly encouraged everybody to do. We, we want to be careful. We don't want to throw common sense out the window. But brethren, don't get discouraged. Don't give up. And don't think this is the end of the world because it certainly is not. But see, beloved, as Christians, we have that eternal hope. We know because we all going to die from something, right? I mean, I mean, we're worried about this virus, brethren, and it is bad. But I'm told, if you look at the statistics, that more teenagers die every day by uh, texting and driving than what this virus is killing. We all going to die from something. So the, pro the, the question is, whatever it may be, whether it may be this particular virus or getting run over by a Mack truck or, 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 or just living a long time and your poor old body just wearing out, whatever it may be, we're still all going to die from something if the Lord tarries. But we can have hope, brethren, through it all. Now let me say something to our non-Christian friends that may be watching this morning because I want you to understand as, as bad as this virus is, and it's really gotten a lot of people's attention and caused a lot of people to have to slow down and maybe to start to think about the frailty of life and how you can be healthy one day and dead the next. And you know what? Let me ask you to seriously consider something that's far worse than any virus, any war, any disease, and that is your soul being in an eternity in hell that's forever that's not a virus that's going to go away in a little while it's forever friend a lot of you have been preparing for eternity I'm sorry a lot of you have been preparing for this short lived virus making uh, emptying shelves at grocery stores making runs on toilet paper and stuff like that because you want to make sure you're ready make sure you're prepared you know what about your eternity? What about that? Are you preparing for forever? Because forever and hell is a long time. And you don't have to do that. Because Jesus died to make it possible for you to be saved. We're going to sing an invitation song as we always do. Many of you, of course, are not here. We would ask you if you need to respond to that invitation in any way. Asking for prayers, wanting to get right with the Lord, whatever it may be, that you would contact us. We have a various means that you can do that and we would encourage you to do that. 
if you need to while we stand and sing.